Beloved, we are God's children now. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's not a quote from any of the scriptures we just heard. Some of you will recognize it as the beginning of 1 John chapter 3. But it points ahead to the, this business of seeing him as he really is. Seeing him in his substance in some sense that in order to see in such fashion, we need to be transformed ourselves. We need to be made like him to see fully. Interesting in the teaching of Jesus, that, that whole idea that until one is born again, one cannot see the kingdom, cannot perceive the nature of things without that radiance of his presence, without the gift of his spirit, we can't discern the things that are of the Spirit. To see Him as He really is, we can't take in with our mortal minds, with our mortal frames, until we are made like He is, until we share in His immortality, until we share in that divine nature. We can't actually take in that fullness of light, and yet still, still are there the glimpses along the line and on the mountaintop. What's so important about what the apostles are seeing at that time is a glimpse of Jesus in his nature. This isn't a reflected glory. This isn't just an appearance. There's a sense of the veil being drawn back. And they begin to see the heart of who he really is. The veil will be drawn around again in days to come as he goes down into the darkness in Jerusalem as he goes the way of the cross. Although one of the fascinating things is that in the days to come, as that illumination comes more and more into them, as they're by his spirit made more into his likeness, as they come to see as he sees, even in the cross, they come to perceive what he told them was the fact of that way that in the lifting up on the cross, he is glorified. That here the glory of the Father's will is fulfilled. That even in what to the mortal eyes appears as the darkness, yet is filled with the divine light of the perfect will of the glory of the Son, which is the glory of the Father and the Spirit as well. There's some sense that the apostles have been growing in their understanding of Jesus, in their time with him, that he's been working within their hearts, within their minds, within their ability to see. We know that immediately before this story, we have that moment at Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus puts the question of of who are people saying that the Son of Man is? And then the who do you say that I am? And Peter's confession, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And we're not in that passage as such, and we've reflected on it before. Some sense that the blessedness of Peter is not that he has come up with an answer, that he's been thinking on it for a while, and he's drawn the right conclusion that the others missed, but that he's been given a gift, that he's been given to see with that clarity. And there's a reason for that. Peter has a very particular role in what is to follow. He needs to be holding that light within. But there's something of that revelation at that moment that prepares the way. 
And if you go back to that moment, you'll notice that on the one hand, Peter is dead on. There's the light that's shining on who Jesus is. But of course, in the next moment, the Lord starts to talk about some of what it means that he's the Christ. And he points to that way of darkness, the way of sorrows, the way of the cross, in which that same light is going to shine and be manifest, the light that shines in darkness, that the darkness cannot comprehend, cannot overcome, cannot even perceive, cannot understand. And then we follow it, though, with Peter's words rebuking him that, well, that can't be the way. You can't go into that darkness. You're the light. You're the, you're the Christ. You can't go that way of suffering. And we know that he's rebuked by Jesus. It's immediately followed by the invitation of the Lord for us to go that way. That it is his way. The light is going into the darkness. And if we are to be in his light, we too go with him. And it's in the going with him that that way of his light opens in the midst of that darkness. It's a week later, but in the narrative, in all the Gospels, it follows immediately after that revelation and those words that we find him taking his apostles, the three, Peter, James, and John, up the mountain. I don't know completely the role of those three. They're the special ones who are drawn aside. There's at least one other occasion where Andrew gets drawn in as well to the intimacy with Jesus. There is something that those men need to hold on to for their role with the others. We know it in Peter. He needs that light kindled within him that even when the darkness overwhelms them all, Peter will have that which will draw him back, that he might draw the others back. Those two are words of Jesus later on. But there's something important at this time about them going up the mountain before he goes down, as it were, into Jerusalem, down into the depths. Different commentators look at what follows there on the mountain top and draw the parallels with the baptism of Jesus. And we're hearing the echoes again. We're seeing again something of what took place in that revelation. Now, Jesus, who came to the waters, the clouds were parted overhead, the light comes down, the Spirit comes down, we've got the voice of the Father and that revelation of who He is. This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Here on the mountaintop, further listen to Him, attend to Him, pay attention. Those are usually where parallels are drawn. And one of the things that strikes me in thinking about this, this business of walking on the way and the way that the Lord opens more fully that light to those who are walking close to him, I think about watching John and watching Peter in particular, John the Baptist, that is. That John the Baptist, you might remember when he first gets that glimpse of who Jesus is, when the Lord shows up. And the two meet face to face, the cousins who perhaps have not had a lot of contact in a while. And John has a glimpse in that moment. There's a light that comes through so that he says to Jesus, whoa, what are you doing here? I ought to be baptized by you, but you're coming to me. He doesn't see fully who he is, but he's got a glimpse of something of the ordering. 
We'll hear something more of that later when he says to the the leaders, those who have come from the Pharisees, uh, this is the man who came after me, but is bef- ranks before me because he was before me. And in some sense, John gives the little rebuke at that point. No, no, no. <laughs> you shouldn't be doing this. And Jesus has to gently rebuke him. Uh, no, <laughs> this must be done now. It's to fulfill all righteousness. Well, Peter, Peter, the glimpse of who this is. You are the Christ. And then the, but, but Lord, it can't mean that you humble yourself. It doesn't, can't mean that you're going to suffer and die. Well, there it's a little more brusque. Get behind me, Satan. Because you're fixed on the things now of men and not of God. But still, at the waters, John then sees the further revelation. The heavens parted, the, the Spirit coming down the voice of the Father, and John knows. And John will go on to bear a further witness then because of what he saw, the Spirit who came and remained on him. Well, on the mountaintop, that further revelation for those who are walking close to the Lord, who have opened their hearts to him. You might say, well, on the mountaintop, they also had Moses and Elijah. They had the law and the prophets there in those key representatives. Well, John didn't see the figures, and yet there's something in the testimony that he gives that makes it clear that he too is looking back to the same ones. It's John who sees the fulfillment of God's promises, who will point to Jesus and say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here's the one who is fulfilling all the sacrificial law. Here's the one to whom Moses was pointing. Here's the one of whom the prophet spoke. He doesn't say all of that, but that's the thrust of his testimony too. And you know that the risen Christ will open up their their understanding, their ability to see in the prophets. Moses and the prophets, and the prophets aren't just what we think of as the prophets, but all of what we think of those history books that follow They give us the context for the prophetic books. But Moses, in the prophets, in the Psalms, all the things that pointed to Jesus. The light comes to be born there as well. There on the mountaintop, the parting of the clouds, the Lord's voice speaking, Moses and Elijah pointing to it's only St. Luke who mentions what they were talking about. And We actually had the translation today that gives us the literal Greek, the exodus that he was about to accomplish, his fulfillment of the Passover, his opening up of that way of freedom and of life, of liberation from death. Remarked of John that when we were looking at things at his nativity, that of whom Jesus has said that, you know, though he's the greatest of all those born of women, that the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Remark that John is on that edge. He's not yet into that line of the kingdom. Jesus has not yet gone to the cross. John won't see the fullness of that glory, but he's got the glimpse. In the Lord he points to, in the Lamb of God he sees. He's got something of that light in the darkness. And he goes to his own martyrdom with that hope in his heart. And we are fully confident that John is raised up into that glory 
that as he beholds the Lord face to face, that he too is gathered into the kingdom and those words no longer hold. But the apostles are going that way. And first they're taken up the mountain with him to see that glimpse of his glory. We were hearing in Matins the the reading of Moses being up the mountain that second time to receive the second set of of commandments, the, the stone tablets, after the first have been broken in the face of the, the sin with the golden calf. And as Moses comes down, we're told that his face was shining with his glory of being in the Lord's presence. The people couldn't look on that face. I'm convinced that that's only in part the shining of Moses on the other part is their movement into sin and into the darkness, that they can't look on what they could have seen days earlier. But that face needs to be veiled. Up on the mountaintop, the glory that is revealed is not the reflected glory. It is the very nature of who Jesus is, that glimpse of the glory that he had with the Father before the world was. As he prays in John 17, it's the very glory that Saul of Tarsus encounters on the road to Damascus that overwhelms him and blinds him. It's the glory that John will look on at the beginning of the revelation when he sees the glorified Lord standing and speaking to him. Overwhelms him with worship, but he can behold that glory and he can rejoice in it. On the mountaintop, it's significant that we're told that they were, they were struggling with sleep. But you might hear the, the echo later when they're in the Garden of Gethsemane and they're overwhelmed with their slumber and they're struggling to look on Jesus. On the mountaintop, the glory does come through. And they can look on him. They're overwhelmed by it, but they can behold it. They can see Moses and Elijah. I'm convinced that this is, again, this is a light that Peter needs to get inside. He needs to have held deep inside when he goes to be at Calvary, when he goes to the overwhelming darkness, that he not lose that faith. But on the mountain, it leads them into worship, even as it will John in his revelation. It fills them for that moment with the light before the veil is drawn again. They need to remember as they go down the way of the cross that that's the same light that is burning within that veil. Even like in the holy temple, the light of the Lord's presence in the holy of holies. Further fulfillment of what was glimpsed at his baptism. But of course, the way of our life in Christ is that we must be baptized into his death. The light of his glory that shines forth there again is the same that shines in in the way of the cross, that shines as he is lifted up on Calvary, just behind the veil, covered in the darkness, but not swallowed up in it for the light that shines in darkness that the darkness cannot comprehend, cannot overcome. Risen from the dead, Christ opens their eyes to see him more clearly. 
Then it's like children awakening from the dreams. And I, I think as they go down into Jerusalem, I think of those words from the Song of Solomon, the description of the bride who is looking for her beloved and speaks. She says, I, I sleep, but my heart is awake. They go into the darkness and a sense that then the slumber would overcome them. The darkness would drop them down and yet their hearts are awake because that light that they saw on the mountaintop shines in them, the light of the presence of Christ. With the Spirit's coming, that light would be fanned into flame that they might truly know Him. And it's the the distinctiveness of the Spirit when the Spirit comes to dwell in their hearts that it's no longer just a seeing, it is a knowing. When they go forth to martyrdom, as they go forth to bear the witness in the world, it is of those who are filled with the light, who know the light, who are living in the light. No, they don't yet see him fully as he truly is. Because they're not yet gathered into eternity, but the life of his eternity has come to dwell in them. And wonderfully, that's the gift that he gives us. The gift of his spirit poured out to bring to bear in us that light that we might not just glimpse him, but that we might come to know him, that we might come to encounter him in the fullness of his life in this Eucharist, that we might truly worship him. And in the heart of that, we grow more and more to dwell in his light, to be filled with his light, to see as he sees, to come to know him as he really is. As Jesus was praying, the appearance of his countenance was altered and his raiment became dazzling white. And a voice came out of the clouds saying, this is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. You will do well to pay attention to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts.